Welcome to chapter 23 of Only Half the Story podcast. This is where we interview the most passionate of the passionate people of those who are in the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. On today's episode, we have Nick the Gregis, and he is a speaker, a mentor, and a motivator in the heart of Scottsdale, Arizona. I think this episode is appropriate for many reasons. One, because it's the holiday season, and Nick is currently involved in many nonprofit organizations that have a focus around giving back to his community and working with the youth. And he's doing a great job at it. He's an awesome dude. I'm super stoked we had the opportunity to put this together. So let's get this party started. This is only half the story podcast. My name is Andrew Haft, and let chapter 23 begin. This is only half the story podcast. We have quite the guest in the house, Nick Degregis. Welcome to the show. What's going on, man? How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. What's going on? Happy Saturday. We're making gains. I see you making a smoothie right there. Protein must be in the equation. What's going on? A little fruit I do. I like to do a little peanut butter or a peanut butter substitute, a little protein powder, bananas, strawberries. I'm a rocket. <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. Well, we're we're going to touch on the premise of the podcast because if listeners are joining us for the first time and they may not necessarily know what to expect, they just want to paint a picture and, and just kind of have an expectation for them of what they're going to be getting into. This is called Only Half the Story Podcast, and we're interviewing passionate people of those who are in the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. And touching on that premise... Nick, we've had multiple conversations throughout this week, and I can just taste the passion coming from your voice, man. It's contagious. So why don't you give everybody just a high-level introduction of who you are, where you're from, uh, and ultimately what what you're passionate about these days, man. Thanks, man. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, my name is Nick DeRegis. I'm from Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, born and raised there. Ended up bouncing around in a couple different um, spots in college. Lived in uh, five places in four years. Great experience through different colleges. Back here now, working, um, hanging, just kind of living life back in Scottsdale, um, where I was born and raised. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Played a little baseball in college. Um, had a big passion for football as well in high school. Um, some injuries led away from that. But, yeah, baseball player turned into uh, just someone looking for a, for a new identity and uh, trying to make an impact, man. Dude, I love that. So you moved from four, four to five places within four places within the span of five years. Yeah, I did. So I lived in Texas. I lived in Arizona. I lived in California. I lived in New York, and I lived in Rhode Island. Um, in in college, obviously due to baseball, summer ball, a lot of the time it was just you know two to three months at a time, three months at a time. But uh, great experience. Met a ton of different people from all over the country, been in a ton of different environments, um, climates, et cetera. 
but uh, very blessed, uh, unbelievable experience, definitely. Oh yeah, I'm sure, and and I think I could relate a lot to that just because I bounced around from a few cities myself, and I think when you go from point A to point B and you're the new kid on the block, there's like this new experience that you can that you can walk into and, and kind of reinvent yourself. I'm curious because when you're going from, you know, four different cities in the span of five years. Like how how did how did you walk into those experiences to to make sure you're gonna have the biggest impact possible within your time there within your time frame there? Absolutely, I think that one I just have a natural ability to 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 relate to people, and I think the biggest thing for me going into it is keeping an open mind and not having a ton of expectation um, for what it was gonna be. And so every place I went, every place I went, again there was a culture already that I was walking into with a team or, or something like that. So that played a big role in helping me become more familiar with the spot that I was in or develop relationships on a quicker pace. Um, so that was awesome. I wasn't really going in blind to any of these places, but that being said, I definitely developed some quick relationships and I have friends that I still talk to from every single place. Um, and just those relationships really don't go away um, or haven't gone away, at least some of them. So it's, I've been really fortunate for that. Like I said, unbelievable experience. Yeah, no, I could see that for sure. And, and, and to touch on what you're got going on today, you're, you're a speaker, you're a motivator, you're a mentor, you're part of a lot of nonprofits. You got a huge heart and you love giving back. Can we touch on how you got involved in all your current endeavors where I think the theme of being generous is probably top of mind? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, right now, I guess, um, so I'm a a part of a couple different, um, organizations, I guess you want to call it. So I work with my best friends and my family, uh, or my best friends, um, who own two brothers that, uh, own and operate a couple different companies in the digital marketing space. And so I've been very fortunate to be a part of that and, and grow with people that I care uh, very closely about. And on top of that, I, um, you know, have a passion, like you said, for giving back. Um, so I started a, a baseball evaluation company on, um, you know, evaluating athletes and players in that realm and not only showing them where they stand, but how to get better and where uh, their talent level is, is capable of taking them. And so that, that's a huge passion for me, obviously. And then at the same time, I do a ton of mentoring, like you said, and just the passion there is to help people that haven't been as fortunate as me growing up. I had mentors and I had people that had given so much to me um, and with no strings attached, right? And so I want to use my experience and I know what it's like to be given things and and, and, and shown, shown the ropes in, in a sense, if you want to call it. And I think that that's really just touched me and I want to help people feel that love given back to them. Um, and so <clears throat> any way that I can do that, that's kind of uh, what I really, what my purpose is here. Yeah, I love that. And do you have an experience of a mentor who made a huge impact on you growing up like who was that person and and how do they make an impact in your life man i have a ton of them to be honest with you um from from mentors that are a lot older than me a lot of um friends dads um, or coaches as well 
that I still keep in touch with every single day. You know, I got coaches from when I was five that helped me a ton. I actually saw him the other day, a guy by the name of Max Slovis. Um, some of my best friends' dads, uh, my dad, uh, my best friend Jordy, his dad Brian had a huge impact, coached me football. Was there baseball, something specific that they taught you? Uh, just, I mean, principles, you know, I, I guess how to prepare, um, how, how to, how to wear, um, you know, your name on the back of your Jersey and represent not only your team, but also yourself and your family. And, um, just to be a professional at such a young age, I think I was in a culture that the bar was set very high to be successful and especially in sports. And so I think that was one of the, the, best things that I was taught or the most valuable things that I was taught at such young ages, you're not only representing, you know, your team, but you're representing yourself and you're representing your family. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was something that all of us learned at a, at a very young age. Yeah, no, it seems as if you were surrounded by, you know, the saying like you're the average of the five most people you surround yourself. I feel like you, you had a, a talented five growing up. <laughs> where obviously it, it played a role in who you are today. But touching on the past and the people who had a, who made an impact on you growing up, like how, how would you describe your childhood? What, what, was, what was that like? My childhood was, uh, I was very fortunate. I, like I said, grew up in a space where um, there's a lot of um, families that were provided a lot. And so I was given um, a lot from, from a very young age. And you, know, you can kind of look at that two ways. But I think that I know, like I said before, what it is like to be given something out of out of love and with no strings attached and to take that and, and really feel that 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 compassion given back um, families, you know, that my two best friends, Colby Targan and Jordy Hine. I mean, those kids are two of my best friends still to this day. And that was from five or six years old. And the amount of things that those families had done for me and provided for me is on, I can't even, you can't even pay it back. Um, and so things like that are really things that hit home for me. And like I said, just being in, in such a loving culture, my whole entire youth and growing up has really made me and shaped me to, into a, who I am today. Yeah. And obviously you're paying it forward today when you're mentoring someone can you paint a picture of what that process looks like? Like, who are you trying to mentor? What, who, like, what's the target here? Um, great question. I think that it is anyone that is willing to learn and willing to grow um, personally, whether, you know, in any way, shape, or form. I think that there's so much opportunity. There's so many resources. I mean, we're at the, we're at the stage right now in the society where information is out there, no matter what, any resource is your resource. If you make it your resource. Um, and so this, the youth is something that they, there's, there's parents, um, there's, there's peers, there's organizations, churches, sports teams, things like that. And, um, the internet if you want to call it and so sure yeah i feel that it's they're going to get their hands on whatever they want to get their hands on but it's so we can't prevent it but we definitely can help guide them in a different direction of of the right direction if you want to call it um and so 
I think I don't really I kind of forgot the the main question there, but no, yeah, no, it's okay. It's it's ultimately like if you were to walk into a classroom and you see a kid who may not necessarily have the highest of self-esteem, they look a little shy, maybe a little afraid, tedious, I don't, I don't know. Um like how how would you approach a situation like that? Great question. I think when you have to kind of see the need, right? Um, and that has a ton to do with compassion and seeing, you know, a need of, of someone wanting help or needing help. Um, and understanding that someone is in need is the first step into compassion in my eyes. And then understanding and putting yourself in their shoes to see what they're going through. Um, and then at the same time, once you do understand or see that need, then it's responding. What can I do to help um, that person? Or and what we'll, we'll, we we talked about this last week, and it's it's there's two ways to respond to someone by words or by actions. And so once you understand and you see the need in someone, okay, now how can I actually help that person or give aid into their situation uh, with my words or with my actions? So you just and, you, know, you from, set an example of of what it is that you're trying to portray where I guess it's just contagious at that point where that person, since you're just going to be in that environment, they're just going to feed off your positive energy. Great point. And the way I look at it is, you know, if, if you make an impact on one person or you help and they feel, they feel that, and there's just so much willing to go to another person. And then that person's going to the positive spread to another person, another person. I mean, it's contagious and, um, I wouldn't have it instilled in me if people didn't give that to me from, from a very young age. Right. And I just seen how much that can do for someone. Um, and so understanding, you know, putting yourself in their shoes and then obviously responding and trying to help them any way that you can, um, to feel, um, feel for them. That's, that's really what it's all about. Compassion. It's huge. I love that. I love that for sure. I think it's something a lot of people can relate to and learn from, especially I, this is like a, general question because in this day and age i i've been so far removed from academia i mean not necessarily college but like youth academia elementary middle school like i'm so far removed from that world like how are kids taking this i mean i feel every time i see a kid walking through the parking lot they got their ipad glued to their face i feel like them and their socials and (laughs) their social environments are so limited because they're just stuck to technology like how, how are you breaking through those barriers? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's something, you know, a lot, you can talk about this for a long time. I think a lot of it has to do with parenting and, and the boundaries that the parents set for the kids. And I was just talking to someone uh, earlier today that, that ran that charity event. And she said, you know, we're trying to get kids away from video games and and things of that sort. Absolutely. But like I said, it's, it's to the point where is it preventable? I'm not sure. Um, and so at that point it's okay, well, how can we use that technology or this digital age that we're in for the good? Uh, I mean, you can get your hands on anything, right? So I don't know if it's preventing that from happening, but making sure that what their eyes are seeing are positive um, positive resource instead of negative. That's true. That's true. And and that's probably an, a task easier said than done because, I mean, I remember when I first discovered how to use a computer, like I was on that thing all day long. AIM, do you remember AIM? 
Aim. Love it. Aim. Love it. Sports Dude 23. My name. Sports Dude 23. <laughs> I was uh, ASH. My initials. XXX394. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it, man. <laughs> I, remember, I remember I had like the little icon. The little dude popped up and it was like, shoot, I'm stuck. Yep. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yep. Those are the days, man. I couldn't get Those off that. I'd go home from school and instead of talking to who I was talking to in person, I would be text messaging them through a computer. Oh, yeah. Aim, LimeWire. Yep. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're on FaceTime for those who may not know. I mean, we're we're hypocrites to an extent, but you know, we're using it to the best of our ability to record this podcast. So, different Boom. different context. So, as long as people have that message growing up on how they can leverage the resources at their fingertips for the better and not as a distraction. And I mean, I'm guilty as this too. I'm sure you are Boom. as well. It's I think I think that's that's a good point. And on top of that, and communication, I think, is going to be a bigger, continue to play a monumental role in in the digital age and, and how we communicate through other forms of communication, whether it's text messages, emojis are playing a huge role, I think, to effective communi- effectively communicate in those spaces. So if those, you know, if this continues to go this way, okay, how can we make communication better? If you're not seeing emotion face to face, you're not looking someone in the eyes, how can we still communicate on an effective level? And so how can we get that down to the youth to where they still can have real developed relationships with people outside of seeing people face to face? And so I think that's where the world or the society is going. And so hopefully we can help aid in that. Yeah. Um, you know, what would be real I think this is like kind of like a worse piece to the puzzle, but VR. So obviously we're talking through a screen right now, but sooner or later I feel like people can start putting on these goggles and literally be with that person face-to-face and, and just have that conversation where it feels so real, but then they're so far away and then they take off their goggles and their true reality is relatively isolated. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, I. That's almost scary for me to think about, but I do have those thoughts too. Um, I'm sure that it'll get there someday. I don't know when, and I don't know where, but I think we'll be able to adapt. Um, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. No, it's super interesting. But let's let's segue into. I think what we can talk about ultimately is just how to convey this men this message of mentorship, and and that comes with being a good speaker and and being able to convey a message in a strong personable manner with with i think um like a like a a valid way to to communicate and obviously i think you have a natural ability for that this is this is kind of a complicated question because i don't know if there's a true answer but when you go up into a classroom and you're about to speak your message to a group of students what is the self-talk going into that environment how do you prepare for it and how do you execute to the best of your ability great question um i'm actually just got done writing a little bit of um some notes finishing up some of my notes um on preparation so i think preparation is huge i think that it's something that is key to to in achieving anything or just really in success i mean preparation i just uh put up a couple uh, looked up a couple quotes today on success or preparation and uh, preparing to <clears throat> failing to prepare is preparing to fail 
Who said I, I that? Mean, I'm not sure. I just, I just <laughs> found it right here. I know it's good no, stuff. No, it's the I truth. Got, I, got an, I got another one for you. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah, and, I did uh, that. Yeah, and then this is probably my favorite one. Prepare like you have never won. Perform like you have never lost. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, for sure. Let's put it on the bathroom mirror. Look at it every day. I love it. You know what I mean? And so I think preparation is huge. And, you know, when you're going into um, to speak or or give back and, and communicate, I think communication is everything. And we had talked about before. Communication is something, too, where I think I have just a natural ability for. I think it's something that was just given to me, the ability to communicate, the ability to relate to people. And so how can I take that and how can I use it for the good, right? And so how can I give back and communicate what I wish I would have known when I was, you know, that age or what has my experience taken me and what struggles have I overcome that I can pass down so someone won't have to experience that struggle, right? Yeah, for and sure. So that, that's that's really my goal and and so when i go back and i and i speak to to the youth or to some of these kids it's okay what can i communicate to them to where they'll understand it and i wish i would have had someone come in and tell me this at that age okay so just keeping it simple very keeping it simple very low level high level i should say and, and it all depends on your audience, right? I mean, if you're talking to a group of sixth graders, you're going to use different language and different analogies or different examples than if you're talking to a varsity sports team or a Division one college team, right? Do you do both? So your audience, yeah, absolutely. And your audience is going to be completely different, right? And so I recorded myself the other day talking to uh, a group of baseball players that were juniors and seniors. And I looked back on that video and I looked back on the video of me speaking to the freshmen in high school and um, freshmen and sophomores. And my persona and the way I carried myself was completely different. Now, I didn't know that I did that, but that was just me having a feel for the audience. Exactly. Um, and so the, the 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 examples that I used, you know, maybe were a lot more intense, or or I had said things in a different manner than what I would have said to, you know, the freshmen or sophomores. That there may be females in the room, there may be not, and you know, things like that that I just pick up on. And I guess that just comes with experience or time. But again, I think I have a natural ability for it. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, man. That that's true. It's kind of you gotta you gotta play your audience to an extent. I guess to go on top of that as well, I mean, I think, I think when you're communicating to people, there's a couple of things, you know, and, and there's, there's different formats that people um, or speakers use. What works for you, you know, is something that you think you kind of have to figure out. I think there has to be credibility. And when you walk in the room, obviously for people to listen to you. And I think that there has to be an attention grabber um, and, and you have to keep it light. Um, at least at the beginning to, to see that, you know, people are going to be willing to listen and, and relate. And so at the same time, I mean, you got to be real with them. People can tell if, if you're not, you know, you have to show emotions, you have to be vulnerable in those stories that you tell or those examples that you use because people can see through that. It doesn't matter if you're a sixth grader, if you're, you know, a 65 year old, I think people have a natural ability for seeing through, the, the BS. And so if you're not real, when you're communicating to, to any audience, it, it'll, it'll show. So I'm going to write that down. That's a good note. 
that's something I'm going to take to the bank for sure. Yeah, man. No, I, I feel like sometimes I walk into a meeting and I got my own personal agenda that I want to get across. And I come across as scripted. And that genuality is what makes the difference between relating to somebody and, like you said, seeing through the BS. Seeing through the BS. And, and there's different ways. You know, attention grabbers are huge from the beginning. Um, you know, you can ask a thought-provoking question. You can tell a crazy example of, of something to, to really get their attention. Or you can just drop a powerful quote and tell them how, you know, it related to your life. And so when you do those things at the beginning, it's like, oh, okay, okay. And build the credibility. You could t- share your story a little bit as well. And so just things of that sort, again, your audience is depending, but I think all those can really help gather the attention in the room right away. Yeah, man. I love that. Where where are you seeing yourself take this speaking career that you got going on? I, I think it's super interesting, but what, what do you want to do with it? Obviously, you're good at it. Yeah, gr- great question. Um, there's a couple – there's a lot of things I want to do, and there's a lot of things I want to accomplish. I think I want to – help make an impact on people that can make an impact. So I want to help leaders become better leaders. I want to speak into organizations, sports teams, things like that. And I want to help fill the gap from the people at the top to the leaders. So for example, the coaches to the leaders, I think one of the biggest things that are preventing a team from being good to great or great to unstoppable is a communication from the coaches to the leaders. And so if, if there's a gap there, that's huge. And so how can I help fill that gap? Everything starts from the top. So I think I've been on teams that are great. I've been on teams that are really bad. And so what I've most common, uh, you know, the common theme of that is, okay, it starts from the top. Are the coaches communicating to the leaders to communicate to the players? Not every player or not every worker is going to employ is going to have a relationship with the boss or the head coach, right? So the leaders are essential and crucial into communicating with both of those. And so that helps the community fill throughout. So I think that that is something that I really want to step in and make an impact for. And at the same time, helping those leaders become better leaders are going to help the people they're touching become better leaders which is going to make a better society and a better world overall yeah i mean that's stuff i don't even think about i mean the whole leadership pyramid there has to be some kind of disconnect within the within like the the middle parts of it where is the top message being conveyed to the bottom to execute how is that happening where are the gaps how can we fill them there's definitely a need for it. I mean, it happens every day, probably. Every single day. Every single day. And I mean, you, you played soccer, and so think about those teams you've been on. What what made those teams that were great, great, and what made the teams that are bad, bad? I mean, talent aside, you know, leadership is going to be huge in there. And then at the same time, in those leaders, what are the qualities that you saw in those leaders that helped make that team so good? That's a good point, yeah. And I mean, I played soccer as a kid, so it was mostly just the friends' parents as the coach. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I mean, like, were they leaders? No, they were just, you know, this uh, is... Well, think, think about think about inside your business. Um, you know, you you work in a, in a pretty high-level company and in a pretty strong industry. 
um, with some pretty good leaders, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, yeah. So, you know, where is where is that communication? How does that in the different teams, maybe inside of your office or your organization? I, I think that's it. It goes off the bat of being just having an extreme accountability factor for your performance. Because there isn't a leader saying, hey, these are today's duties. Go make it make it happen. Everybody has a job to do. Everyone has to make sure that their job is done and done correctly. And I think that is the message conveyed from our leadership is that you're just as much of a leader as I am. So it's not just top-down approach. It's you know a full 360, bottom-up, sideways, whatever you want to call it. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody's accountable for that performance. And we're going to make it happen. And if it's not done correct, I'm the one feeling the consequence, not necessarily my leader, because I'm going to hold myself accountable towards it. You freaking, you absolutely nailed it, man. I think that right there, what you just, just, just described, accountability, it's a principle called extreme ownership. And I read a book um, Jack by two Yep. Boom, you nailed it. And yeah. that, that book changed my life. And those principles in there, I mean, they do, you know, they have a, consulting business i think they've done over like twenty five thousand businesses across the world but that that principle and that concept of extreme ownership changes everything yeah changes everything yeah because if you're going to fill in the gap of a leader to the captain you know then ultimately the captain becomes accountable to convey that message down to you know the the others the team the people who are actually doing the jobs and then if everybody holds that that responsibility Bet your ass, job is going to get done. Job is going to get done. And I was talking to uh, a group of, of varsity baseball players the other day, and it's, and what I told them is they're in, they're, in an, they're in an off season right now, which baseball, it's from the fall going to the spring, the winter is kind of, there's not a ton of structure. It's, hey, you do your own thing and you go get better. And so I was talking about accountability, and the coaches are only there to guide you. They can give you, they, they give you how to get better, but it's up to you to make that happen, you know, and, and that really goes with life. You know, it's such a cliche statement. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink it, but that's real. You can only give someone so much guidance if they don't want to go, go ahead and, and go through with it and make themselves better. And that's, that, that is what it is. And so the accountability inside that is huge. And if the leaders on that team can communicate that they don't need the coaches, but to hold each other accountable or hold yourself accountable, that's when you have the best teams. Yeah, no, for sure. You're making some real valid points here. It's it's evident for sure. Um, what, and to kind of touch on like the strategy for this speaking business and, and the speaking career, if you want, that's what you want to call it. Like, how are you going to build yourself a platform to really convey all of these messages? A uh, great, great question. So I'm writing, um, I'm helping put together a program right now for the nonprofit that I'm a part of. And so we're taking it, um, there's 10 principles. We're going to take it down to about four principles and we're going to condemn it into a program or a curriculum that can rate specifically into athletes. And so at that point we're, we'll go into organizations and teams and, and consult hopefully, or, or, you know, speak on behalf of how to make the leadership better and, and fill that gap, hopefully between the coaches and the leaders, if there is one, but at the same time, it's a very, very, um, touchy 
subject, I think, with a lot of head coaches because you're coming in and you're saying, you know, the coaches may look at it as I don't need someone to help my leaders be better because essentially you're a head coach. Your job is to make the leaders the best they are to make those players as good as they are. So there has to be a little open-mindedness in, in regards to the coaches. And so sometimes that's hard. It's their program. It's their organization, right? Yeah. You're coming in as the consultant from an outside perspective. And I feel like there's a lot of egos that get in the way of what you're trying to do. Boom. That, Ego. yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. That's definitely a struggle for sure. I, I want to humanize you, Nick, because obviously you've, are you're an outstanding speaker you've done this you've had a lot of experience being on stage in front of an audience can you share an experience where you just bombed you failed and you walked off that stage not feeling at your best and and how did you bounce back from that if it ever happened i'm curious yeah, great great question i i definitely had had some i think that i haven't had anything to where it was like traumatic and there's always there's always things that happen to where I hey I wish I would have said this different I wish I you would have used different words here I should have used this example instead of that example with that audience but you know everything's a learning experience and so I don't think there has been like anything crazy like crazy like life or like life changing that is or or speaker changing if you want to call it yeah. that's happened to me um but let me nothing think about traumatic. that quick yeah nothing traumatic but let me think about that quick um and i can always get back to you <laughs> all good all good um yeah man i mean it happens to everybody everybody goes think, into a meeting and yeah, they fuck and up I, somehow or some way always always and i think Again, the getting back to this, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but pre preparation is everything when it comes to that. I found what worked for me in preparing a speech when I was in college, or probably even before that when I was in high school. And when I was in college, I was communication. So I did a lot of presentations, a lot, a lot of speeches, and I found exactly what worked for me. Um, and so, like, <clears throat> for example, when I'm, you know, when, when I'm, I'm hanging out with, with someone or, or, or helping coach someone in a presentation or, or a, a uh, you know, a, a speech for that matter. Um, there's a couple of things. And I say, I mean, you got to find what works for you. I know it works for me because I've done it enough now. Um, but here it's in my notes somewhere here. Do, do, do. I can't find it. But anyway, yeah, I mean, pre preparation is everything. I know that when I have an outline and I know that when I practice my examples or what I'm going to say or what I'm going to use, it's going to change. So I know if I have my presentation set out 24 hours before, the next 24 hours before I actually present, I know I'm changing things in my head. I'm running through it in my head. I know what it's going to sound like. I know who it's going to go to. And that just helps me prepare. So I yeah. think preparation behind it is huge um i've have gotten caught in not preparing enough and forgetting things when i'm up there and so then you're going off the top maybe losing your order and that is very very alarming to me because that just means i didn't prepare i think one of the biggest things is going in chronological 
chronological order when you are giving a presentation and it's easier for people to follow and if i get away from that which happens all the time that's where i get in trouble definitely for sure I, okay yeah bringing it back to square one just preparation is key fail to prayer prepare to fail um there you go, baby. <laughs> um so kind of w- one last ca- question regarding the speaking because to, to make this tangible for everybody how can people overcome the fear of being in front of a group of people and speak i think that's a that's a fear that a lot of people face and how did you overcome that if you good question um like i i really just have kind of had a, a you know natural ability to speak to people i've never been really scared to speak in a group setting um, again it's probably because i just did it in front of you know my teams or when i was very young yeah i think you just answered the question you just did it (laughs) i just did it yeah experience and i'm a huge believer in that you know experience is everything and so i guess for someone that you know is is has fear inside of speaking it's just put yourself in situations to do it um as much as you can and learn from every single experience that you encounter and do it um, and that's, you know, the only way you're going to have failures. You're going to have, I still do it all the time. One of my buddies travels the world, the country and speaks on, um, sexual assault prevention and bystander intervention. Wow. And yeah, he, he, he's a great dude. Uh, my buddy Nico and he'll even, you know, he speaks in much more intense and much bigger audiences than me, but he still will tell you, you know, he messes up. He says things at home, oh, man, you know, and he, one of his biggest things is, it's people are going to ask questions and that's, I think one of the most, the best speakers or, or the people that can present best are open to answering questions. And so when you have questions on the spot and you can answer them, I think that's when you become very, very successful at communicating because you're not just up there preaching or speaking from, from what is already set, but you can adapt on the spot and you can respond to people and communicate with what the questions they have. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, that's the truth. I think, I mean, once you do it enough and you gain that experience and you know you're prepared, you know your shit, I, I think it's just a recipe for success. Um, one thing I want to run by you is is dig into some of your personal daily habits that make sure you're the best version of yourself on a daily basis. Like, what do you, what do, you do when you first wake up in the morning? How, how do you kick off your day? Great question. I mean, I have a routine, so before I even go to bed, um, I write out what my day looks like the next day on a whiteboard, um, and, and have a to-do list. And then when I am going to bed, I visualize what my day is going to look like. Um, and I tell a lot of people, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a walkthrough for a game. Um, and so, you know, when you play football, <clears throat> football teams, they'll have a walkthrough. If you have a game on Saturday, like colleges, I'll walk through on Friday. And so when I go to bed at night, I walk through my head what my day is going to look like, and I visualize that. And that's kind of just how I go to sleep, and I fall asleep. Um, and so when I do wake up, I have a plan. I have a purpose, and I'm getting out of bed, and I know exactly what I'm doing. I like to start my morning with a win of some kind. So whether it's working out, whether it's going on a walk, whether it's doing the dishes, whether it's I don't go into the store, whatever it may be, making my bed. I think it's a huge, huge win at the beginning of the day, making your bed and just kicking off that day with doing something, being productive in some way. Um, and, you know, it 
that's that's really how I start my day. So it may vary depending on what my day looks like, but I'm always waking up and starting my day with a win and then having a routine and doing that. I love that. You can even tie it to the preparation factor. You're, you're for, I mean, the visualization board, the whiteboard before you go to bed, that's gold. I might take that from you for sure. But, I mean, once you, you kind of have the mentality before you're about to go to bed, wake up, and then it's game time, and you get it done. Yeah, no substitute for that. That's beautiful. Yeah, so based off talking to you for the past few days, you have a passion for just being healthy, and that goes hand-in-hand hand with just staying true to a strict fitness regimen can you, you know, paint a picture for everybody what that looks like for you? Yeah, so I, um, I've kind of adapted a, a health and wellness or, or fitness and, and nutrition lifestyle from from my brother who who's a nutritionist and a health coach, and he has kind of shown me the ways. Even though he is younger than me, he knows way more than I would ever know. And, you know, I thought that I knew about nutrition and knew about fitness and training and playing sports my entire life, having unbelievable coaching and guidance, even in high school, playing at a top program in the state or in the country and going and playing in different uh, colleges. And, and really what I found was, I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know Jack, especially about nutrition. And so as I started paying attention to the way that foods or different trainings made me feel and made me look, that's when I really started changing my perspective on it. Um, and I started paying attention to the foods I was eating, what's in them and why it affects me. And that's really when my life changed. Any, any particular superfoods that you incorporate in your diet that you'd recommend? Oh man, I don't know. I, I think, I think uh, I practice, uh, a concept, uh, called, flexible dieting so i kind of eat whatever but it's all relative and it's if if anyone wants to you know start looking into nutrition i recommend looking up flexible dieting and, and seeking help i it's it's a hard thing because it takes time and progress is so slow when it comes to health and wellness and it's always changing. <laughs> yeah. So because of science, there's always new things coming out. So things I'm doing right now, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the right things in two years. And that's something that I've understood and that I'm in for. But again, what works for me might not work for you, might not work for someone else, might not work for Danny, you know, whatever it may be. And so I think that's a huge thing as well as when it comes to nutrition and fitness, everyone is different. And so the sooner you start paying attention to how your body reacts to different types of training or different foods, things of that sort, that's when uh, the process or is going to, is going to be that much easier or, or that much more uh, effective. Yeah. No, I mean, dude, that's the truth. Okay. It's kind of just customized to who you are and it's important that you know who you are before you dive into something like that and, and know the, you know, okay fried chicken may not taste though it might taste good for lunch but it may not <laughs> no it's 100 yeah. percent. you know i don't I'm, I'm not saying eat fried chicken but you know eat fried chicken and for you know for dinner eat something healthier if, if that's your lunch you know and like i said it's all relative you could eat in and out burger you know for for breakfast and then just make up for it and have a little bit of healthier eat a little smaller lunch eat a little smaller dinner it's all relative i mean that's the thing that's that's why i love flexible it's fle flexible dieting it's and i i don't 
I only know and, and utilize that because I started paying attention to what's in my foods and, and tracking my calories and things of that sort. And it hasn't, it didn't just come overnight, but I, I, I was persistent with it and consistent doing it every day for an extended amount of time. So now I, it's a lifestyle. I don't have to pay attention to the foods I eat because I understand what's in them and I know how it affects me. Yeah. No, for sure. That makes sense. Um, let's dive into some rapid fire questions as we cool. conclude the episode. So rapid fire on, quest- on, on, real quick on top of that. Thank you to my brother, Michael Deregis and Sam Davis and a couple other people that has helped me formulate my lifestyle in um, health and wellness and nutrition. I have to give them a shout out because without them, I wouldn't know anything. So a shout out. Let's go. Right. <laughs> perfect yeah man shout out to the squad shout out to the homies shout out to the people who made it all happen um rapid fire question number one if you were to have a superpower what any superpower what superpower would it be oh i think i think the ability to just heal or help people in whatever way possible like if someone was like hey i'm struggling i need this i wish i could just be like boom and help them help them get better because there there's nothing like ha- helping someone else i mean when you when you when you help someone and, and make them better and make their life better and, and see happiness on their face that's everything you know and i only know what that feels like because i have received that i've received something like that and so that's really what i want that's that's what i would want is just boom the ability to just help right away immediate boom dude i don't know if that's a superpower but that's a superpower i was i was anticipating an answer like i want to be like superman i could be invisible or learn how to fly (laughs) but dude that tops all of them that's awesome all right well rapid fire question number two if you were to host a dinner party who would you invite? What would you make and why? Oh, man. Host a dinner <laughs> party. Host a dinner party. People that know me would, would know I love this. I would love this question. I I would invite anyone. Um, if I was to host any dinner party resources unlimited, I, I would have enough food to feed anyone, and I would not hold the invite close anyone open invite i think that food and i think gathering around food is so important in building relationships and it's so traditional but it's so true the conversations you have around a table where there's food provided are so strong and the relationships that you build around that table or that setting are are will last forever i mean i i truly believe that so i i'm a huge believer in eating together as people that know me know um i love food and i love gathering and i love people so that would be ideal i don't know what that looks like in the future but i think we're gonna make it happen at some point let's do let's host a dinner party together man i'm coming i'm coming i'm buying the flight i'm making it happen Nice. Let's do it. <laughs> um, all right, and last question, and we're going to touch on the premise of the podcast one last time. This is called Only Half the Story for two reasons. One, my last name is Haft. It just makes sense. Two, we're interviewing Love passionate it. people who are in the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams, and I want to underline the pursuit word. I think oftentimes we listen to podcasts and talk shows, whether it's Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, you name it, 
The featured guest is typically someone who's put on a pedal stool. They've quote-unquote made it with a grand story to tell on how they got to where they are. Well, here we're reverse engineering that concept and really taking a deep dive into the tangible steps people are taking as they are on the pursuit of achieving their goals and dreams. So, Nick, first of all, I'd like to absolute thank you for being a part of Only Half the Story podcast. It means the world. And touching on the premise of the show, how do you want to put a stamp on the universe? Great question, man. Um, first, uh, thank you uh, for having me. I, um, I'm i glad I met you back in Scottsdale a couple weeks ago. And thank you to Danny for introducing us. Um, what shout you have out going to Danny Butterly. Yeah, shout out Danny Butterly. Um, what you have going on, this is cool. I think that um, hopefully, you know, there's people that are on this that make such a big impact and they can look back on this and be like, you know, wow, look where we started. We were having conversations about what we can create and you know now it's now it's happening and so <clears throat> i think it's so freaking cool that you're doing this man and the name is just really crushes it hits a nail on the head i, I absolutely i meant to text you that last night by the way <laughs> uh, but Thank i uh <clears throat> where am i gonna be man i i don't know um but i'm really really excited to, to see um, where that takes me right now i have a lot of different things going on um and I don't know if it's going to be one thing that I'm going to hone in on or try to do as many things as possible. But what I do know is I want to experience as much as I can and learn as many things as I can at a very fast, rapid pace. And I want to take that experience and pour it into others and help them any way that I can. Um, and that's, that's really what it is. I, I understand that you know struggles are going to happen and there's ups and downs, but I want to take the ups and downs that I encounter and I want to help make someone else's progress in those same struggles expedited uh, by giving my insight to them so they don't have to necessarily endure that struggle. So I love it. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I appreciate you, man. Um, Thanks for having me again and I'll, uh, I'll chat with you soon. And there you have it, chapter 23. Put it in the bank with the one and only Nick DeGregis. If you were feeling this episode and you're digging the podcast, please, please, please like, subscribe, share this with the universe. My name is Andrew Hack. This is Only Half the Story Podcast, and we will see you next time.